Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Thomas. I am the director of student ministries here at Nova. And uh, we have another director. He's the director of local missions. His name is Garrett. And um, we, are, we are both very tall, and we get confused for each other sometimes, uh, which is funny. Uh, and, and today, uh, I may be exasperating that problem because Garrett was supposed to preach today, but he was feeling a little under the weather, and so I have taken his sermon, and I am going to preach it. <laughs> and I'm changing nothing. Uh, and so he's going to reference his wife, Lexi, in there. I am not married to Lexi. Uh, <laughs> uh, he is going to mention me in the sermon, and that's fun too. Uh, <laughs> So I'm just going to preach it just, just as he uh, had it manuscripted here, but I wanted to have that disclaimer. Um, and if someone comes in a little bit late and sits down next to you and is confused, please uh, let them know. <laughs> but yeah, that's where we're at. All right, so here we go. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you today. We are one week away from Christmas, and I don't know about you all, but I am very excited. Uh, and so for the Advent season that we have been in, that's the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we have been looking at four different themes. And so over the past three weeks, we looked at peace, hope, and joy, and we have the Advent devotional, which was written by many of you, uh, about these themes. Uh, for example, during the first week of Advent, Dean preached on peace, and then the devotionals for that week were all on the subject of peace. And today, we are going to be talking about the theme of love. And the rest of the devotionals for this week, as we approach Christmas Day, will subsequently be on love. And they are all truly fantastic. I genuinely recommend you guys read them if you were not already planning on it. And so, I gotta be honest with you guys, trying to preach on love is kind of difficult. It seems like it would be easy. It's kind of really a massive part of our faith, but that is the problem. It's massive, this broad concept, especially as you begin to put it into practical terms. Uh, like, at times, it is loving to correct someone. Gently, I hope, parents, you are maybe well aware of this. It's also incredibly loving to show someone immense amounts of compassion. It's also loving to simply enjoy another person, enjoying who they are, being with them. It's loving to provide for someone when they are going without. It's loving to be generous with what you have. And then you get into all the different kinds of loves, right? There is like romantic love, and there's the love that you show your friends, there's the love that you show your children, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and like the love that I have for my wife is obviously very different from the love that I have for Thomas, our youth director. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love Thomas, I really do. <laughs> I think it may make him uncomfortable. But I do. <laughs> but, but obviously, that love is far different than the romantic love I have for my wife. Love is a really big, really broad concept when we talk about it in practical terms. So how am I going to encapsulate all of what love is in a sermon so that you all understand every little aspect of it perfectly as you walk out those doors today? I can't. 
<laughs> However, here's what I will say to that. I, I think the best encapsulation of what love is is three words, and it's found in 1 John 4, 8. God is love. God is love. And you, you want to know what it means to be loving? Look at God. And therefore, you want to try to be more loving? Grow closer to God. You see, there's this funny little paradox in the life of a Christian. In uh, Galatians 5, to 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Note the very first one, love. These are things that naturally come about as we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, as we draw closer to God. And here's the paradox. You don't actually become more loving by trying to become loving. The same is true of the other fruits. Sure, through sheer willpower, we may be able to muster up some aspects of love, maybe even grow a bit, but we will always hit a snag of some kind at some point. Rather, you want to become more loving? Grow closer to God. And then a fruit from His Spirit indwelled within you will naturally be love, because He Himself is love. And so, you want to know what it looks like? Look at God. You want to grow to be more loving? Grow closer to God. It is really that simple. But to try to encapsulate all of love in one sermon is impossible because we, we don't stop learning about God, who He is, what He is like. We are constantly growing in God. Therefore, we are also constantly learning more and more about what love looks like. And I think love is less a concept that we need to cognitively master and more of something that we are constantly growing in. And so, in this sermon, we're not going to be jumping into something like the four key concepts of love or anything like that, because I think that would be kind of disingenuous in a way. That would be putting limits on something that is beautifully broad and that we will always learn more about. And so, I'm not going to try to encapsulate love today. I want to make that clear up front. But we are still going to look at a pretty big aspect of love. And to do so, we will naturally look at the character of God. Because God is love. And so, go ahead, if you have a Bible, flip it open to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 today. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This is Garrett's favorite section of Scripture, just so you guys know. It's awesome. This sermon is very Garrett. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so, do you guys have a favorite Bible verse or passage in Scripture? If you don't, that's fine. You aren't less of a Christian or anything like that, I think. Uh, no, for some of us, maybe there's just that verse or passage that maybe you keep coming back to. For me, it's this passage. I just get so much out of it for reasons that I hope are obvious to you at the end of the sermon. Anyway, let's read this passage together. So Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being 
in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that great? Uh, so, quick backstory on this passage. This passage has often been referred to as the Christ hymn throughout history. Whether it was actually sung or not is one thing, but most likely it was almost like one of the first creedal statements of the early church. Essentially, it was a doctrinal statement about the personhood of Jesus. And very likely, Christians in the earliest church would say the Christ hymn regularly together as a kind of affirmation on one of the foundational aspects of what they believe. And it is so beautiful. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Pretty straightforward, yes? That is what we are trying to do as followers of Jesus, to be like Christ. But then Paul gets into the mindset of what Christ is. I want to read verses uh, 6 through 8 for us again. It says, Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you get how absolutely mind-blowing this is? Like God being born a human is something that we hear about often in church. It's pretty foundational. And so maybe we can become a little desensitized to how absolutely amazing this is. God himself, the infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing creator of everything, was born a human. And not only this, he did not live his life as some sort of mighty emperor conquering all that got in his way. Rather, he took up the nature of a servant. The creator serves his creation. And by the way, it's a creation that often wants nothing to do with the creator. One of my favorite bands of all time is this band called Me Without You. And uh, they have a line in one of their songs in which they say, who has ever heard of a singer criticized by one of their songs? But that's what creation often does with the creator. And yet the creator still serves his creation. Now the Greek term for servant in this passage is doulos. And doulos can be translated as servant, but it can also be translated as slave. And many other translations translate this verse as taking up the nature of a slave. And not only this, but it says that Jesus humbles himself so much so that he even dies on a cross for his creation. 
So I know that most of us are very familiar with how absolutely gruesome and terrible a death being nailed to a cross is. But there's also an aspect of significant humiliation that comes with this type of death. Crucifixion in ancient Rome was a death that was almost solely reserved for two different types of people. People who went against Rome and runaway slaves. It was also a public execution in which it often took the victims days to die, but then the bodies were often left up on the cross for days or weeks afterward. And part of the reason for this was to warn others about what may happen if they try to go against the government or to try to run away from their masters. But it was also meant to serve as the ultimate humiliation. It was the lowest and most dishonorable form of death in ancient Rome. It was reserved for those who go against the king and for a people group that was almost always seen as subhuman slaves but not good slaves, runaway slaves. And this, this is the mindset of Christ. So do you get how utterly preposterous this is? God himself chooses to serve his creation. And not just serve his creation, it's the lengths in which he goes to serve us, to die the worst death imaginable, to identify as a slave, all because he loves us, all because he saw sin in the world, our relationship with him fractured and broken, and so he who knew no sin took on sin, the very worst of sin, so that we may be reconciled to him. Do you see there is no length that God would not go to love you? New Testament scholar and minister N.T. Wright says this about the matter. The eternal Son of God, the one who became human in and of, in and as Jesus of Nazareth, regarded his equality with God as committing him to the course he took of becoming human, of becoming Israel's anointed representative, of dying under the weight of the world's evil. This is what is meant to be equal with God. As you look at the incarnate Son of God dying on the cross, the most powerful thought you should think is, this is the true meaning of who God is. He is the God of self-giving love. You want to know what it means to be divine? You want to know who God is and what he is like? Profound, self-sacrificial service and love are at the core of it. And God does not put his divinity aside to do so. So this is actually what it means to be God. This is his character. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is often described as an upside-down kingdom. And it goes against a whole lot of our preconceived notions of how the world is supposed to work. In the Christ hymn, we see what authority and power is supposed to look like. It's not conquering emperors, it's not strength and might, 
It's not using one's authority to get others to do what you want. It is deep, profound, self-sacrificial service of others, even if they don't deserve it. Don't you feel like the world could use more of this? So I've been married to my wife, Lexi, for six years now, you know, which, uh, of course, makes me an expert on all things marriage. Just kidding. Uh, but no, there are definitely, definitely some things about marriage that we noticed pretty early on that just keep seeming to prove themselves true over and over. Like, every once in a while, things kind of just get off. You know, nothing serious. We have an incredibly strong relationship, and we are always continually working on strengthening our bond. But even in healthy marriages, you know you just have these moments where you get out of the groove. And I'll tell you what, for Lexi and I, it always comes about when we individually start caring more about our personal needs than the needs of others. And it almost creates this kind of cycle, you know? Like, say that it starts for me, and maybe for whatever reason, I start looking to myself and what I want. And this can take many forms, you know? Maybe not chipping in around the house, not being as attentive to Lexi, doing the things I want to do instead of choosing to spend quality time with Lexi. And then what happens is this makes Lexi feel like she needs to fight for her own needs because I am not tending to them. And it creates this cycle of us only caring about our own needs rather than looking to fulfill them for each other. Now, the crazy thing about this cycle is that it also works in the opposite direction. If I, instead of solely looking out for myself, start to care for Lexi's needs, to go above and beyond for her like I should be doing anyways, it makes her want to do the same for me and the cycle continues in that direction. You see, our, our basic instincts tell us that our own happiness and our own joy is what is most important. But the upside-down gospel of Jesus actually says, no, you want to create actual happiness and joy, provide this for other people. Don't look to yourself, look to others. And by the way, that will actually bring about happiness for yourself. So basically, you want to be happy? Don't think about your happiness. Make others happy. Similarly, we often default to thinking that authority should be exercised for oneself. Maybe we don't cognitively believe this, but man, when someone gains authority, it sure does tend to go that way. In reality, authority how it's meant to be exercised and evidenced by God himself in today's passage, it is a profound self-sacrifice to those under you, even those you may think don't deserve it. Likewise, I think there is a common message in our world today in which love is what you get out of it, whereas true love is most accurately expressed in how we love others unconditionally. Remember, Romans uh, 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a really important preposition, while. God did not wait for us to get our act together. God did not say, well, once you stop sinning, then I will love you. 
No, his love is purely unconditional, self-sacrificial. This is what it looks like to be divine. And as followers of the divine, this is what we are meant to be mirroring as well. You know, I am so blessed in my position here at NOVA because I get to see and be a part of all the ways that NOVA people are self-sacrificial and serve others. I've seen it a bunch already this Christmas season. Y'all have been incredibly generous. We got to provide roughly 90 shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. Those are the gifts for kids who otherwise may not get Christmas gifts this year. And I know that we're a bit separated from it, but you know we just fill the box and send it along, but those boxes that we filled are going to bring significant joy to 90 different children this Christmas season. And my guess is that there are roughly 150 people in this room, so you can imagine how many kids that would be. You guys also provided Christmas gifts to all of the residents and workers at Colina de Luz Orphanage in Mexico. The gifts just got dropped off yesterday. I gave above and beyond your regular giving in our Joy to the World offering, in which we distribute money to our missions partners, giving them an extra Christmas blessing this season. And some of the members of the choir are going to go to the village, which is a, a new shelter for unhoused individuals in Torrance over by City Hall, and spend an evening singing Christmas carols with the residents there. Our Feeding the Hungry ministry continues to provide a hot meal to anyone who needs it twice a month. Our Laundry Love ministry provides laundry services for anyone who needs it every month. And you, you know what else? I have heard so many stories about you all reaching out to your neighbors, just being loving and kind and compassionate, extending of yourself and inviting these people into your homes for meals, babysitting kids, investing in the lives of those outside of Nova. And you know, the building project that we have going on over there is, it's in the home stretch. And as we have said from the beginning, the open campaign, which is uh, what we called it, uh, is so much more than building a building or starting a few new ministries or programs. The open campaign is about heart change. Us, the individual members that make up Nova Community Church, continuing to grow in our heart for our surrounding community not just caring about what goes on within the four walls of Nova. You know, we've had a lot of conversations as a staff uh, about the open campaign, particularly, you know, about what next, like what comes after this construction completes. And here is something that we all believe. If the end result of the open campaign is that a few new programs or events are created, but nothing else, we will be very disappointed. Now let me qualify and to say that this is not that bigger, more organized programs or events are bad, not in the slightest. And almost certainly, the end of the building project will result in some of these things. 
However, if the end result of the open campaign is that we created a small handful of programs, ministries, events, whatever you want to call them, and then we as a collective body see that and use that to like proverbially check off being missional, being intentional and loving to those around us, whereas our day-to-day -day life outside of the Nova campus does not change, then we have missed out on the point of all of this. When we say that the core of the open campaign is heart change, we mean it. That is not a flippant comment. The heart of the open campaign is about both each of us individually and us as a collective learning and growing and how to be loving people that God has placed in our lives. Not just here, but at work and at school and with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors. That's ultimately what we are doing in all of this. Not just a few new programs, although that will be part of it, I'm sure. It's ultimately about growing to be a more intentionally loving people. It's about growing to be more like God. I haven't really talked about Christmas much, have I? Actually, you know what I have? <laughs> During Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. In essence, we celebrate Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it started with him being born on that first Christmas day. Complete, total, profound, self-sacrificial love. Let's pray.